The Lord willing, next week we will return to Matthew, but again, today I'm going somewhere else. I want to direct your attention to Romans chapter 8. The title of the message, you've seen it in the bulletin, we are saved in hope. I want to begin by reading the verses that... It's not the full context of of the particular verses we'll be focusing upon, but at least it'll provide some context, and we'll be referencing all of these verses in the message. Beginning at verse 18, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, one thing that strikes me is the Apostle Paul is seeing something by the power of the Holy Spirit in him, and he's being led by the Holy Spirit to write things that he is seeing and in such a way that he's able to write the things that he's writing. And, and if you think about the Apostle Paul's life and all that he went through, this is quite a remarkable statement that he's making here. That, that the sufferings don't compare. It just it, They're not worthy to be compared There's something that he saw about the glory that awaits the children of God. And we'll not be talking about all of that glory here in this message, but some of it. And when our eyes are open to see what the Apostle Paul saw, I believe, believe, and and it, it does, I believe, center around this hope that we'll be talking about from this particular passage, I believe that we will find it to be an insurmountable help to us in this present life. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. The creation, and the old King James says creature there, I believe it's proper to say creation rather than limit our minds to um, creatures, meaning human beings or animal life, but the whole of creation is in view here. For the creation was subjected to futility. You can read about it in Genesis 3. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. God is the one who subjected it, but he did so in hope because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There's coming a time where there will be no decay. No longer will there ever be any decay in God's creation, but that's that's not now. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, and that's a strong contrast there, not just all of creation, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. But we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? That almost seems like a statement that's unnecessary to be made, but it is necessary to be made. Because I think we lose sight of that. And hopefully that will come clear as we proceed in the message. But 
there's a sense in which he's stating the obvious there in verse 24. But if we hope for what we do not see, we we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. There is a popular and disturbing message taught by many. And, you know, if you don't have access to all of the what's out there, you may not even know these things are taught. If all you know is what you're what you get in your own congregation, you may not know these things are out there. But there's a pervasive message and because of the nature of communication. It does even affect churches like our own. And it's a message that teaches, that says something like this, that if you're not experiencing physical healing and financial prosperity, you are not experiencing, as you should, your complete salvation, as, as it's called. By the way, I have no problem with the term complete salvation. I only have a problem with what those who are using that language say should be the experience of every believer who receives that complete salvation now. There are some who are more radical than others in their message. But regardless of the degree of extreme or the motivation. And by the way, God's going to judge the motivation of people. We discussed that in our prayer time yesterday a little bit. You know, you know, there are those that are casting out demons in your name. And Jesus said, hold on. Remember the uh, I forget David, I think, brought that out in, in Mark. And even Paul in another place in an epistle says, listen, uh, whatever the motive is, if they're preaching Jesus, you know, we need to we need to be careful in our condemnation. God will judge that. But I believe that the message of these people is fundamentally flawed at best. At best, maybe worse than that, but at best, fundamentally flawed. And it's my concern that many true believers in Christ are carrying unnecessary burdens and even guilt. And I'll come back to this later in the message. Because they are not experiencing what these teachers say they should experience if they have sufficient faith to experience in this present life all that is promised in the redemptive work of Christ. So that there really is nothing that you shouldn't be experiencing right now. And I contend that's a false message. That is not a proper proclamation of Scripture. And so, to children of God, I, I, I speak to you especially. Hope is fundamental to the faith of God's elect. Hope is. Hope is fundamental. And this is, hope is a huge subject in Scripture. And so we, we could, it, there obviously are parts that we'll, we'll not even touch. I'm being very specific in my focus this morning. But Paul wrote, to Titus on the island of Crete and said, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. That's a fundamental, inherent part of 
this faith of God's elect, the salvation that God has given to us, hope of eternal life. Later on in that same epistle, in chapter 3, verse 7, he writes that having been justified by His grace, justification is not connected with hope. That's something that's done. Having, having been justified, not, that's not a future reality. Having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We were and are saved by grace through faith in hope. So faith and hope. These are two basic principles. Turn over to Hebrews 11, 1, right quick. I'm, I'm, I'm aiming not to be too lengthy here this morning. Faith and hope are basic principles at work in every child of God. And this is, this is important. Where, where the, the apostle writes, now faith is, you know this, this verse, faith is the substance And that can be translated a number of ways. It's the foundation or it's the reality. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the re, faith brings the reality that is referred to as hope into present view. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. So in the soul that possesses faith and hope, and by the way, the two are not separated, that the two are linked in Scripture. Faith, they're distinct, but they work together. You see, there's going to come a time where faith and hope will no longer be, right? First Corinthians 13, verse 13, you know, presently there abides faith, hope, and love. Faith and hope are going to fade away. Love will never fade away, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the that's the constant, by the way. That's the eternal constant, really. Okay, but that that's we that's for another time. But here, in the soul that possesses faith and hope, hope is not the hope that we're talking about here is not a possibility kind of hope. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, faith brings hope into view, even though it has not yet been fully realized. And of course, Hebrews 11 is full of examples of this. We'll refer to one later on in the message. But just for now, the last two verses of Hebrews 11 and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. That's hope. That which has been promised. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. And that's the hope that we share in with them. That's going to be realized, experientially realized. But now, faith is what brings that into view. And so where there is faith in God, there is hope. Faith and hope exist in the soul of every child of God in this present life. Bringing into view what otherwise could not be seen. And I'm not going to take the time to turn to the familiar passage in 1 Peter chapter 1, but you can read it there. All of chapter 1, really, but verses 5 through 9 especially. Faith brings into view what you otherwise, having not seen, 
you love. Faith is bringing what you do not see into view. And then he goes on in verse 13. We read that verse last week. There is this hope in the future grace. The hope in the grace that shall appear when Christ appears. Okay? And so, all of that is the, I think just helps in the, to, to form the backdrop to what we're speaking about this morning. I want to speak today about our salvation in the context of this hope. Specifically, as we see it here in Romans chapter 8, verses 23 through 25. Now, please, do not hear in this message a criticism of anyone praying or hoping for God's powerful intervention in healing or for any other good thing for which you are burdened to ask. Is that clear? Because you may hear me say things later on that sounds like I'm preaching against that, and I am not. God's Word does not lead us against that. No, my concern is for the kind of teaching that eliminates the fundamental future hope inherent in our salvation that is linked to the full redemption of our bodies that is talked about in the text here in, in, in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, we are saved in this hope. Now, the King James Version, Old King James says, by hope. We are saved by hope, which makes it sound like hope is instrumental. You know, I suppose you could say something like you're saved by faith. Is it, is it true that we're, is faith instrumental? Well, faith brings us into the relationship to Christ, but Christ is our salvation. Hope brings us into, into that relate, it, it's part of bringing us into that relationship to Christ, but Christ is our hope. So, so hope is not the instrument, it's, it's not the, the means by which we are saved. Okay. It is the context in which we are brought in that salvation, which is something we'll talk about here in a moment. Eternal life. We're saved in this hope. Let me ask you this. Do you have eternal life? If, if you're a believer, do you have eternal life? I mean, you have to say yes, don't you, if you read, if you believe God's word. Eternal life is a present possession. And eternal life is, as Jesus prayed, to know God and His Son, Jesus Christ. And yet, eternal life is our hope. We just read it in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. And that's not the only place. And so there is something about this eternal life that is now, and there's something about this eternal life that is yet to be fully realized. Take another thought. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Are they now? And the answer is yes. I mean, that's the kingdom of God, right? And that we, we are in that kingdom. We possess that kingdom. The kingdom is in us. We Having Christ and having the Spirit of God, righteousness, peace, and joy defines a present reality in the kingdom of God. And yet, sin, sorrow, and sadness are still part of our lives. They have not been fully eliminated, have they? They haven't in my life. 
And I think any person who is honest would say, no, they haven't been fully eliminated. And so there's a sense in which we have righteousness, peace, and joy now, but there's also a sense experientially where it has not yet been fully realized in our lives, in our experience. And then more specific to Romans 8, there are sufferings of this present time that will not be forever. The salvation that is ours right now in Jesus Christ is a salvation filled with hope. God has an incredible plan to restore all created things to a perfect order that will fit the eternal life promised to his family, his adopted children. And this life is not all there is. The best is truly yet to come. This life is not all there is. There is a now and then perspective to life, to eternal life, to the life of the believer. In this present age, we can listen to this. In this present age, and this seems to be offensive to a certain segment of professing Christianity, but in this present age, we can expect to continue to deal with physical sufferings, including bodily ailments, until we are glorified with Christ. Verses 18 through 21, I, I just read it. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation. That, that's believing, unbelieving. That's the whole ball of wax. Waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility. And by the way, it still is under that futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Hope that is seen is not hope. So it hasn't been seen yet, right? So we're still under that. The creation is still under that futility because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What ails the creation as a whole also ails every believer until the fullness of redemption. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only. Not only that. But we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan with, with the rest of creation. I think in a different way, but there is still a groaning. Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. And so to teach the people of God in a way that burdens them with the thought that they are missing out on the present experience of bodily, or we could even say soul perfection for those who say that we ought to be arrive at a sinless perfectionist where we no longer struggle with sin because after all, that's what we've been redeemed to. So therefore, we ought to possess that in this lifetime. Listen, that is, that, that is not true. No, the bodily and soul perfection 
is coming, but it's ungodly at best to teach otherwise. And I think it heaps a whole lot of confusion on the people of God and a whole lot of burden on people. And, 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 and by the way, I mean, I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit here, but just to let some of you know, uh, this burden comes to me from within Community Baptist Church. I'm not preaching to all the churches, other churches out there. I don't know who's going to hear this message, but I'm preaching it for you and for me. Because there are some of your brothers and sisters who have labored under a burden they should not labor under. Because of things that they've heard or preachers have said things that that have gone beyond Scripture. We need to be careful. And and I'm doing this out of care for you. The first point, I've got three major points here. And I'm going to be real focused and and I'm not going to try to elaborate on everything I say. But the first thing I want you to understand that hope is our present condition. It's our present condition. We're saved in this hope. You might want to take away the word this and say, we are saved in hope. But there is a definite article in the original, and some translations delete the definite article, but it really is talking about a specific hope. We are saved in the hope or in this hope. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been saved. Christ is your hope. First Timothy 1 and verse 1. For sake of time, I'm not going to read all the... References, but in 1 Timothy 1 in verse 1, in Colossians 1 in verse 27, says, they say Christ is our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're familiar with that expression in Colossians 1.27. This salvation in Christ is a hope-filled salvation. Hope points to the future, doesn't it? It points to that which you have not yet received. But it's been promised. It's been promised to you. Beloved. Now. Are we the sons of God? Right? But it does not yet appear. What we shall be. So there there is something else. And in the context of 1 John 3, where I'm quoting there, it is... There's a reference to the coming of Christ. When we see Him, we shall be like Him. We shall see Him as He is. There's something that awaits us. We see now by faith. But the hope has not yet been seen. This hope is certain. It is a good hope. It is well grounded. It's not a fool's dream. It's not shaky. It's not dependent on anything in you or me. It is a living hope that faith lays hold of in Christ. Encouraged by the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, who, by the way, is the first fruits and produces first fruits. Both of those things are true. This hope includes all that an heir of God has coming to him. And it's summed up here by the Apostle Paul, I think, in this expression, redemption of our, of our body in verse 23, when he says, we groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, you, you, we, we could talk about, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when I'll no longer even be tempted to sin. I'm not going to have to battle with the, the darkness of this world. And that's all part of the redemption, the hope that yet awaits us. But here I think Paul is zeroing in more on the 
physical component of this redemption. And, and, and there is not a, our salvation is not just an invisible salvation. Um, there is the redemption of our physical being. Our present bodies fit this present existence. But what Paul is talking about here is going to be realized at the conclusion of this life and at the beginning of eternity. Right now, we experience a corruptible and mortal existence. You do know that faith in Christ didn't change your body in this present time. When you believed, you continued to live in a corruptible, mortal body. And yet, our redemption includes incorruption and immortality, doesn't it? And we know this from other places. 1 Corinthians 15 expands this thought, but Paul wrote there, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, faith lays hold of that, but that's still a hope. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Let me ask you this. Is death swallowed up in victory? Is it? Yes, and faith says so. Faith brings that reality to our souls. And yet, experientially, has death been swallowed up in victory for you and me? That's that's a hope. That's that's our hope. We're waiting With anticipation, jumping ahead of myself here, but that's part of the eager waiting of this hope. No, we continue in this life to be susceptible to corruption, which includes sickness and pain and mortality, which is death, of course, until incorruption and immortality takes over forever at the resurrection So Paul encourages us in another place in Philippians chapter one, or excuse me, Philippians chapter three, verses 20 and 21. You know, that's the passage where he talks about about, you know, I I just I've got to know Christ. And then he says, "I, I want to apprehend that for which I've been apprehended. So you can hear the tension and the struggle in Philippians chapter three of that which I already have in Christ and that which I am yet pursuing. Right. And forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So I'm in this life and faith is leading me into this relationship with Christ in whom my hope is is full. It's realized. In him, but experientially, I'm growing and I'm moving toward the time of the full reception of that hope. And so part of that includes the changing of our bodies in Philippians 3, 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven. Well, I thought you lived here. I thought you I thought you were an American citizen. Or or. Filipino citizen. We have uh, a couple of visitors back here we met yesterday. Good to have you all. But, or, 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 or whatever your country of origin is. I thought that, isn't that where your citizenship is? Well, it, 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 yes and no, right? There is this present existence and in this 
body that is corruptible and mortal. There are boundaries to our habitation determined by God. And and my citizenship is in a place here. And, of course, that's a whole other message, how that works out in life. But there's another sense in which it doesn't matter where you were, what the origin, your national origin is or your ethnic origin is. There's another sense in which you are a citizen. Your citizenship is in heaven. And that binds us all together, no matter where you started out life from, right? In Christ. So our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Brother Sergei over there in Siberia, when they met this morning, they're already sleeping now, but when they met this morning, they were, I assume, gathering together eagerly, anticipating all that they have promised to them in Christ, just as we are here today in this place, waiting Eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. I think sometimes people read that and they think, "Okay, well, then we'll be able to walk through doors without opening them, opening them and things like that. How about how? Hey, John, how about? You're going to have full use of your arm. There'll never, ever, ever again be a problem with that. How about that? Yeah. That's the reality here, you see. That's our hope. And Paul uses the term redemption back in our text. The redemption of our bodies. Of course, that's the result of the price which Christ... Do you know what what, what it costs to have this hope? Y'all do know, don't you? It costs the death, the very life of the very Son of God. That's what it costs. That's the redemption price. And the result is the redemption of our bodies. He gave Himself. We saw it last week in Titus 2. He gave Himself to redeem us. We have not yet experienced the fullness of that redemption. This is our hope. In this present time, We endure sufferings in this body and the eternal day. By the way, the sufferings are of every sort imaginable. It's sufferings in general. The eternal day is coming in which our adoption will be complete and we will experience the completion of redemption. And maybe I should say the experience of of our adoption because, you know, we're already adopted, Right? That's what moves us to cry, Abba, Father. That's earlier in chapter 8. But the experience of that adoption he's talking about here, the full experience is going to end with everything made right, perfect, as it was intended and is intended by Him. So now we groan within ourselves. The Spirit in us teaches us that our present sufferings will end. And so we groan with all creation as we live in hope of the fullness of redemption. The adoption. The adoption. You notice where he says, I I mentioned that this adoption is the full manifestation of who we are as sons of God. Where do I get that? We read it in verse, in verse, uh, verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for what? 
the revealing of the sons of God. We say, well, aren't you already a child of God? Yes, but the revealing of the sons of God is something that is, is put out there into the future where there is going to be this full manifestation that Christ is going to... Re- By the way, Christ rejoices over us now. God rejoices over us now as His children. But He's going to... I mean, I don't want to be too humanist, human in my expressions here, but He's going to hold you forth as if He's proud of you. These are my sons. These are my children. This is my family here. And of course, we who are in the family are going to say, it's all because of you. Do you see the relationship there? And there's just going to be this big eternal relationship of love forever among the people of God, having fully realized what was promised to us. Verse 21 says much the same thing, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. But listen to me, that's not now. Now, we still deal with corruption and mortality. But this is the hope that the spirit of adoption works in us, in corruption and immortality with our Savior. So that's, that's the condition of our salvation. Now the expectation, we've sort of touched on this, we can be a bit quicker here, but this hope is our expectation. You saw the verse 23, he says, eagerly waiting. Your translation may have it a different way, but this is the idea. This, there's, it's not just simply waiting. There's an expectation in this waiting. He repeats it again in verse 25. We eagerly wait for it. There's an anticipation that fills us. Listen, just as we do not sorrow at the death of a believing loved one, as those who have no hope, so we do not suffer as those who have no hope. If we had no hope, if we had no hope, present suffering would be far more weighty, wouldn't it? In fact, didn't Paul touch upon that in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians where he says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the, old, the older translation, most miserable or most pitiable. What a sorry lot. What a poor excuse for salvation. If, 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 if that's it. And he's talking about a bodily. I know there's more to our, far more to our salvation than physical and bodily, but it doesn't exclude that. And so we wait with expectancy. You see, we may, now listen to this, especially those of you who are struggling. We may or may not suffer physically in our present bodies. And if you have listened to a message that says that if you're saved, if you've received the redemption of Christ, then you should not be suffering in any way. If you've heard that message, please discount that as a false message. It's not biblical. So we may or may not suffer. I was talking to somebody earlier this morning and said, you know, I really haven't suffered much physically in my lifetime. 
I don't know what some of you are going through physically. You know, I just I haven't had that. And I'm thankful for that. Does that make me better than you? Have I earned brownie points with God somehow so He's treated me better than you? Is that what's going on? No. You see, we may or may not be healed from a sickness or a disease. But present healing is not our ultimate hope. That's that's not... Listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying and hope that God will grant to you a temporary or temporal healing. But that isn't really your hope biblically. That's the point I'm trying to make. And, and some of these preachers out there are presenting that as your hope. That, In fact, that is what hope is to them. And biblically, it's not true. But hope does not cause us to ignore our present existence. Including care for our bodies or desire for healing. I think that's an important point to make. In other words, we want to... Is there anything wrong with you wanting to live this life? Is there anything? I mean, sometimes, you see, we can go into ditches here. And we say, you know, my hope's out there, so that's all I care about. Go ahead and chop my head off. No, that, that, that is not the mind of one who is living as Scripture says we are to live as the people of God in this world. No, we... It's proper to want to live this life. After all, who gave you this life to live and to be used as it pleases Him? There's where we sometimes have trouble, but but living as it pleases Him. Oh, brethren, we, we eagerly wait, even as we live this life in whatever condition your body may be in, We eagerly wait for the hope that faith has made a reality in our souls, though not yet fully experienced. And so the apostle says, hope that is seen is not hope. Verse 24, we're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. So so when we realize the adoption, the redemption of our body, when that time comes, hope will no longer be a part of our existence because we're living in the full experience, the reality, not just reality that faith has drawn upon, but the experiential reality of everything that has been promised to us because of Jesus Christ. So if you pray for healing and are not healed, You do not need to labor under a sense of guilt or burden that there's something wrong with you. It about broke my heart when I heard somebody recently say that to me. What a burden to live under, right? What's wrong with me? How come God hasn't answered my prayer to heal me? No, we eagerly... And I said to that person, because I knew I was meditating on these verses, and I, and I say to you, no, what we do is eagerly wait for that healing. It's coming. It's coming. Everything that's been promised to us is coming. We eagerly wait for what is coming. Brethren, apart from this hope, you might well despair. 
But faith brings this hope into view so that you can live in light of the promises of God, not yet real, not yet received or experienced. Hebrews 11 and verse 13, the chapter I referred to earlier, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's faith. Faith serves that part in our experience in this life. And so you have a verse like Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them. How could they see them? Faith. Having seen them afar off, were assured of them. And by the way, the Scriptures talks about the assurance not only of faith, but the assurance of hope. And they embraced them and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. They didn't get wrapped around the axle that everything that God had promised to them had not been fully realized or experienced in their lifetime. Because they were saved in hope. Just like you and I. By the way, Paul uses Abraham as an example in chapter 4. Remember he talked about the faith of Abraham and he said, who hoped... Against hope, you remember that? He hoped against hope. That which seemed to be impossible. Why, humanly, it was impossible. But faith enabled him to hope in the one who promised. And, brother, beloved, when you know the one who promises, hope swells. And, and faith connects you with the one who promises. And when your hope is in God, and you know who he is, then hope increases. Because you know He's going to fulfill His promise. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning. So we read about all of those lives in the Old Testament we, and that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Hope. Hope is fundamental in our relation to God in Christ. And I am convinced more now than ever to connect the thoughts in Romans 8, that the spirit of adoption is fundamental to stir up within us this hope. That spirit, the Holy Spirit, God Himself. And so we pray that He will stir by His power even more. And, and I'm essentially quoting Romans 15 and verse 13, where He says that you might have this, this full assurance of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who stirs that up in you. And then finally, not only is hope our expectation, we eagerly await that for which we hope, that which has been promised to us. It's the condition in which we live in this present time. But hope is our motivation to endure. Do you see that? In verse 25, But if we hope for what we do not see, we don't give up. We eagerly wait for that hope, for it, with perseverance, with patience, with steadfastness, with endurance. We keep going. You see, when we lose hope, you know why 
I, I know there are probably other reasons, and so I don't want to be too simplistic. One of the problems, I said this to somebody recently, one of the problems that I think we have in the Christian life, as well as others, is we become reductionistic. And that just means we take something that is a broad subject and we reduce it to one thing. And that's just a dangerous way to view truth, God, and life. So I don't want to do that here. But I will say this, that I am convinced that one of the reasons why suicide is in such a, it's in such a horribly high place in this country, maybe even in the world, but in this country is because hope is lost. What's the point? And that can happen to Christians where we lose hope, we lose motivation. Present suffering overwhelms. I mean, I just received a text this morning from someone that, I'm not saying they've lost hope, but that it was like they're wearied, wearied, a Christian, and we're tempted to quit, overwhelmed by life. And sometimes life gets real personal, and sometimes with our own body, our own bodily sufferings. And sometimes the promise seems just too far off. Yeah, preacher, I know I read that in the Bible. I read the promises. I pre- But I need help right now. Right? And so we kind of we get cut off from the hope. Faith begins to get blinded. And we have an enemy that's seeking to destroy the faith for sure. We read that in the Scriptures. But we begin, to, we begin to, to get overwhelmed by the present circumstances. And maybe we even get overwhelmed by false teaching. And we begin to ask ourselves the question, why, why am I not healed now? If we can reduce our thoughts here to just our own physical sufferings. Why am I not healed now? You can apply it to many other things as well. But why not now? Why does this suffering continue? I don't think I can take another day of it. Some of you have been there. But let me just... Tell you that expectation of immediate relief based upon wrong teaching and an expectation that God never gave to you may disconnect your faith from the hope that is inherent in the salvation promised you and me by Jesus Christ. Are you growing weary? Are you discouraged? Do you think that you... You haven't received all that is promised you in the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you. Are you listening to me? Do you think that you have not received all that's been promised to you in Jesus Christ? Do you think you have not? Let me tell you, you haven't. You're right. Because it wasn't intended to be fully experienced right now. There is that which is in the realm of hope. And you... But you will experience it. And that is hope. We're saved in hope. The redemption of your body, as well as the perfection of your soul and everything else that God has promised to us. Listen, beloved, it is coming. And so knowing that, this is what Paul says here, knowing this, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. And so we endure to the end. With eager anticipation. And there really are so many scriptures that back this concept up. But let me just give you two. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 36. For you have need of endurance. 
so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. But you have need of endurance. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, more familiar perhaps. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with patience, endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. He will not disappoint you. You will not come to the end of this race and He say, Ha ha, you trusted me. You really thought you were going to get that? Jesus will not do that to you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus will not do that to you. You cannot trust Him in vain. He will not disappoint you. You can live this life with your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether He brings you healing or not, whether circumstances get better or worse, trust Him. And trust the promises that He has given. Believer, hope. Hope for what you have not seen yet. Believe it to be so. Go ahead and name it and claim it. Go ahead. That's the kind of name it and claim it I will suggest to you. The hope. The hope. But you see, if you see it, it's no longer hope. So what will you have at the appearing of Christ if you get everything that's promised to you now? And that is not the biblical view of salvation that's been given to us. Don't listen to lying prophets. Through all your inward groanings because of this present imperfect world and life, hope with anticipation. A glorious inheritance awaits you. A glorious inheritance awaits you. You will forever share in the glory of your God and Savior Jesus Christ forever. That not that what Jesus prayed for? And that's where we're... It cannot be denied. He didn't just die and rise again. He is our great high priest. He's going to assure. And by the way, there isn't some struggle between the Father and the Son in this thing. Right? The Father and Son will make sure that it comes to pass. And by the way, the Holy Spirit's not competing with Father and Son. He's right on He's right on board. There's there's eternal union there. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And us in Him and with Him. We're saved in this hope. Nothing, as Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, nothing in this present world can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. He goes on to make that point in this same chapter in Romans 8. We will. And by the way, there's nothing in this life that compares to the adoption and the full body redemption that awaits you in Christ. Hope in Jesus Christ. Hope in Him.